everybody to All About Windows Phone Insight podcast number 98. Tuesday, the 27th of May, 2014. We're going to keep this quite a short podcast because it's recording quite late at night. I know the race tired, I'm tired, and I'm actually heading off for foreign climbs tomorrow. So that's you know, a, ra- a rare break from tradition. Steve doesn't get to stay at home all year round, but um, we can discuss with Ray Blanford. We have indeed. We're just uh, two away from the big 100 now, and I think it's rather good that... Steve is going off to foreign climbs. He'll be able to give us some smartphone on the road experience when he comes back in then. But there's been quite a few bits happening this week. Uh, Steve, we, I know we wanted to go through some uh, big topics, but we've also got some, some little topics to cover as well. And if we have time, we're going to cover a few notable app updates at the end of the podcast as well, I think. But uh, what are you going to start us off with this week? This is kind of a software update, but it's also a platform update. A OneDrive, <laughs> nay, SkyDrive, I should say. OneDrive has been updated as an item. If you've got a Windows Phone 8.1 device or developer preview device, you'll see this update. You won't see it if you've got a traditional Windows Phone 8.0 device. And this basically opens up OneDrive as a file source and destination. In other words, if you're in a different application, you can save files to OneDrive. And if you want to open up a OneDrive file in that application, that's also available. There's only a couple of applications that's actually working in so far, Rafe. I'm guessing that developers for third-party apps will have to recode their applications to take advantage of this new OneDrive API and fun- functionality. That's right. I mean, this is kind of part of Windows Phone 8.1, or I think it's probably better to describe it. It's enabled by some of the new features in Windows Phone 8.1, and there's actually kind of a new SDK coming along with this kind of OneDrive implementation, or at least uh, new enablers that then kind of set it up to work with the Windows Phone 8.1 frameworks. Now, there are a few apps out there that already take advantage of that, um, but not that many because obviously developers are updating their applications at the moment. And uh, OneDrive is kind of using this new 8.1 framework to, as you say, set up itself as both a file source and destination. I think it's an important distinction to make here because this is something that potentially other apps could do as well. And actually, we're going to see uh, a, a file manager appear from Microsoft in due course. I think it's going to be called Files. And it's actually going to use something similar to, again, be able to be used as kind of a, a file source and destination. I mean, obviously, there it's for managing local files, whereas you can think about OneDrive as being effectively a way to uh, manage your cloud files and obviously um, send files to and from your local device as well. I, I think this is quite interesting simply because it says quite a lot about the way Microsoft is thinking of the platform and the way it's going to do enablers. And I think a contrast can perhaps be drawn uh, with the way the same kind of cloud storage is set up on other platforms, Steve. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I would say that uh, I've praised Microsoft in the news stories uh, in, as appropriate. I think Microsoft has really put, produced the best implementation of, of cloud drive integration. I mean, I've used Android phones, I've used iPhones and so forth. And things are always just t- that tiny bit clunky and there's extra authorization steps and there are extra screens to tap through and then you have to navigate this, navigate that. Microsoft, across the um, their tablet interface, their the desktop interface, across Windows Phone uh, and in the cloud itself, everything just seems to hook together. They're just that tiny bit better. I don't always agree with Microsoft's the cosmetics of how they actually display some of these drives. I do get rather annoyed at some of their, their interfaces, especially on the web. Um, but in, service, in terms of joined up thinking, you really cannot fault Microsoft here, and I would put them at the top of the heap. Yeah, I think this one's interesting. From a personal point of view, I'm glad to see this come along because I often take screenshots on my 
device to illustrate a particular story. And the easiest way for me to sort of get them off the device and then onto the web or wherever I'm putting them is, has been to share them uh, to OneDrive or SkyDrive as it was in the past. With Windows Phone 8.1, it wasn't so easy to do that. I had to go into the app and sort of fiddle about with that way. Now with this kind of integration, you're seeing OneDrive added back into the kind of the sharing framework. And this is part of the framework uh, in Windows Phone 8.1 that I was referring to just a little earlier. But that means it's obviously usable from a whole range of devices that implement the new sharing framework. And so that level of integration, you know, it, it's not nothing that's rocket science. It's really common sense for the way that framework should be set up. But Microsoft has obviously started thinking about this quite early on in the life of Windows Phone 8.1 and on the OneDrive roadmap. And as a result, as you say, Steve, you've kind of got this smoother integration that actually feels part and parcel of the platform. And of course, it's very similar to the way it will work on desktop Windows 8 and on the tablet devices, you know, the Surface devices, the Lumia 2520. And so there is that consistency of experience, which you don't always get, um, particularly with Android, because it doesn't really have the equipment desktop counterpart there are things like the chromebook devices but so that feels quite different to kind of android uh, tablets are maybe an exception to that and similarly in the apple world obviously ios and osx do share a lot of conventions but they don't have quite the same uh, consistency particularly for for cloud services i mean i think a lot of people would say that um, apple have done a good job with um their cloud service but when it actually comes down to it it's perhaps not as fully realized or as feature rich um, when you're thinking about a user trying to directly use the cloud where it perhaps works better is if the developer's done everything in the background and for those that haven't used kind of apple's cloud services you will see applications that will save automatically and kind of in the background to the cloud and then have a desktop component which can use that same data and share it back and forth seamlessly now Microsoft does actually allow a similar thing with OneDrive, but I think the emphasis is different in that there's a better level of if you want to have direct user control. And for a lot of people that have come from the traditional way of doing things, you know, saving things into a filing system, I think that level of control is something they still like, you know, the idea that there are real files and folders sitting underneath your structure and that's where your data is stored. Now, I do accept that that's not for everybody, but uh, Microsoft is clearly kind of trying to go for the, the best of both worlds and accepting, you know, there's a lot of its users do want that traditional access to a filing system. But of course, cloud has perhaps confused things a little or at least, you know, widened the scope of where you want to be. It always used to be about local files. And I think the best example of this is thinking about the early implementations of office suites on mobile devices. And the big feature that people wanted was being able to edit documents that were stored on their device and they might later send them off. Over time, that sort of shifted and you got the idea that you wanted to edit Office devices that were maybe attached to an email or were sitting in the cloud somewhere. And you wanted to be able to round trip them and have them uh, sent out and sent back automatically. And now there's that emphasis more and more that, you know, you want it from the cloud, you download it, then it gets re-uploaded automatically and visibly in the background. And of course, that's something that has been built into Windows Phone for a while now. And what OneDrive, the implementation we've been talking about here, that potentially brings that kind of functionality to a whole range of third-party applications as well. And so, uh, you know, as you say, it does require developers to think about the way they're implementing things. But I, I'm pretty confident we're going to see see that happen. But I'm also pretty excited, potentially, so we can see other cloud storage providers provide something very similar. And so there'll be a certain amount of user choice. And 
this harks back to something I talked about when we first talked about 8.1 on the podcast and said that some of the most exciting things in Windows Phone 8.1 are the enablers, the APIs that are going to allow a, sort of a richer depth of application functionality. And this is a good early example of it, albeit one that's kind of come from Microsoft. And that's kind of an obvious reason for why it's one of the kind of lead examples of this. Yeah, we should mention just to say that obviously the Windows Phone 8.1 is still very much in the minority across the Windows Phone world. And over the next two or three months, people will get the OVR updates. And at that point, three months time will then have the position where all of these things make sense for most people at the moment it's just a handful of geeks playing with this stuff and it's microsoft designing it and yes we can see the potential but i think we're i know we're always saying this right but in three months time so at some point in the near future all of this this wonderful promise will come to fruition so do what that, that's say. right I, I hope actually it'll be a bit sooner than three months and it's interesting we're kind of talking about this as if bits are getting added but of course the interesting thing is for the vast majority of consumers an awful little, lot of this will arrive at the same time and they won't have seen these kind of patterns of updates and things kind of sort of getting enabled or being added and for those that have been trying out windows phone 8.1 there's definitely been gaps and a, a few frustrations um but of course if you're a consumer getting it for the first time you won't have had that kind of experience of a pattern of updates and i think there's kind of another good example we can talk about uh from this week and again it's talking about 8.1 so i'm frustrating perhaps for users who are still on 8.0 but i do want to talk about it and that's the re- latest version of the xbox music update we've been referring to applications being updated in place rather than being kind of part of the platform and not being updated until there's a, a platform update which is what the majority of the built-in applications were before but uh, we've seen xbox as the gaming version being updated and the various things coming in, making it usable, the performance getting better. But this week there was a big update for Xbox Music for Windows Phone 8.1, wasn't there, Steve? Yeah, that's right. I mean, Xbox Music and and music is a curious thing, really. When uh, Windows Phone first launched, you had this music and videos hub, and it was all all fine and dandy. We've all got rather used to that, presenting our local music, our local videos, with a bit of a hook of the online content. And you've also then got this parallel track of the Xbox Music service and client. And with Windows Phone 8.1, Microsoft wanted to thought, well, let's bring everything together. Let's, apart from video, let's, let's bring all the music stuff together as Xbox Music and Hive Videos off into a separate app, which does absolutely make sense. And I enjoy having my videos in a separate app. But Xbox Music as a player and a manager for local music wasn't working terribly well. And there were lots of people rather complaining they liked the old, the way the old Music Hub did it. Now, with this update, basically, they've taken a lot of uh, UI improvements and got it fairly close to the old music play player. So, for example, you've got much bigger presentation of album artwork. You can now um, swipe up uh, on the album art to switch between tracks. You can you can scrub along the, the progress bar, as it were, within a track and find the spot you wanted. So I think we're probably 90% of the way there to stopping people complaining about the old music hub and of course you've got the benefits of video being separate as well there's still a big emphasis obviously on microsoft's xbox music service and buying music but i i think there's enough of a nod here to local content that i don't think anyone can really complain yeah i think that's right i mean xbox music got introduced because microsoft not surprisingly wanted to bring its own subscription music service kind of into play more and obviously having two separate apps is not a good thing um it still feels to me like they have to be very careful of a balance here between you know players 
that has your local content, you do your own thing versus wanting to be part of the Microsoft ecosystem. And in other parts of the platform, I think they're very good about making sure that you can sort of make your own choice. And music and video is perhaps the one area where it feels a little bit more tied into the Microsoft ecosystem than elsewhere. But on the other hand, I do like the consistency of using the Xbox brand and actually the videos works very well. And, you know, video is slightly different to music in that, that there's not this so much of this expectation of having DRM free. And of course, you can uh, get your music from anywhere, sideload it onto the device or use one of the sync clients to get it onto the device as well. But for those that do have the Xbox Music Pass, which is kind of the subscription service, you know, you get a really good experience with this Xbox Music. You can have as much music you like anywhere you like. And kind of the, the definition or the barriers between what's on your device and what's on the cloud certainly become blurred, but it, it's not for everybody. So I think this was a much needed update. I have to confess that on 8.1, I've actually been using uh, Nokia Mixed Radio's local mode uh, to kind of play back my music just because it's been easier and less fiddly than trying to use this new Xbox music clients. I'm guessing I'm one of those people who isn't so into my music that um, I wanted to have that full subscription service. I was quite happy with the free offering of, of Mixed Radio, and, but did have a little bit of local content. But this is something I guess we're going to see more of. We've described in a previous podcast how this applies to you know games on Windows Phone as well these apps are going to be updated separately apart from the actual platform updates. I think that's a really good thing because it does mean that Microsoft can be kind of more responsive to user feedback. And there isn't this kind of lag or this timeline of having to wait for a platform update, which quite often doesn't fit in with the development cycles or the natural cycles of these apps being updated. And, And you can see a similar example in the Bing suite of apps that are actually being included as if they were kind of built-in apps that similar to the ones that you get on other platforms. But just as Google does on Android, all of these apps are being updated separately uh, on Windows Phone. In case it's come through the Windows Phone store and you'll be seeing some updates, you know, on a weekly basis. I think once things settle down outside the kind of the early period for Windows Phone 8.1, it may go back to being once every couple of months or once a quarter. But that's still going to be a lot more frequent than you can typically expect to get through a, a platform update you know, and some people have great difficulty getting these platform updates because the operator delays them, uh, or, you know, there's some other certification requirement that isn't quite met. So I actually think this is a, a really good thing. And I downloaded this update, got it installed. And like Steve, I found it much better in terms of being close to what I was used to. And it's just the little things like the audio scrubbing, for example, if you listen to long tracks, this is something that you really do quite need but also just the visual element of making better use of the album artwork was something I was um, pleased to see. Uh, I just highlight one extra feature. It's not something I've used myself, but there's actually some background syncing of content going on. Um, So that actually saves time when you're first starting up the application rather than having to wait for all the syncing uh, to, to happen. This is particularly relevant if you're using Xbox Music either on more than one device and particularly on more than one device that you know, expands uh, PC, tablet, or, or phone. And so Microsoft are pl- clearly paying some attention here, and it's actually, you know, I mean, as a positive thing. And as we said for, when we were talking about the previous topic, um, for most users, they're going to experience this for the first time on Windows Phone 8.1. They're not going to have gone through this effectively beta testing period that may have frustrated some people, but 
I, I agree with Steve. Ninety percent of the way there. Definitely room for a few more updates, maybe before the full scale consumer release happens. But I guess that's now, given that we've got the first devices coming onto the market um, as we record this podcast. Yeah, I, I'm I'm pretty excited for where Windows Phone will be and the platform will be in a couple of months' time when you know when, when everyone's got the update, when all my devices have been updated, when the third party developers have actually got the or the the 8.1 hooks and APIs sorted out. We really will be in a much richer place in terms of the platform. The moment my 1020 is kind of sitting a bit unloved because I've hit a few application showstoppers. But in each case, the developers said, look, I'm, I'm working with the 8.1 SDK. Give me a month or so and I'll have an update out, which solves your problem. So it's just a play waiting game. And I know we've been saying that a lot over the last few years, but it really <laughs> is a platform that's growing and a, a platform that's evolving. And at some points in that evolution, you'll have to just stop and wait while things catch up. I think it's quite natural. Yeah, patience is always required, I think, if you're a smartphone fan. I mean, we're coming up to that time of year where Google and Apple both announce the details of the kind of the next version of their platform and people and developers start talking about it. But you actually quite often have to wait a few months before it arrives on devices or even longer. And uh, given that Windows Phone 8.1 was really only announced um, so eight weeks ago now, the fact that we're talking about it arriving in sort of you know, between four and eight weeks and maybe a little bit longer, depending on the device, that's a pretty good thing. And, and the really positive news, of course, all of this is going to be available to every single Windows Phone 8.0 device, which compared to some of the stories you get on Android is really very good news indeed. I've got Windows Phone 7. It says Nokia Lumia 710. And Microsoft not updating it. And I think the hard done, but I'm never going to buy anything from Microsoft ever again. You can just hear them. Yeah, well, we, we, we do get a bit of that. And um, <laughs> I, I, I'm sympathetic to anyone who bought a particular Lumia 900. I think that was a particularly sorry story. But uh, that is kind of in the past now. And uh, I think that has changed. Microsoft are kind of aware of that, and that's reflected in this whole Windows Phone 8.0 to 8.1 update story. Absolutely. Okay. Um, a couple more things before we finish. Obviously, um, I want to get to the uh, my my hands-on with the Xperia Z2 in comparison to the Lumia 1020, which I'm sure you'll have some take on. But before that, just one one app update. Verbalize, something I've been kind of championing because it met an, a need of mine. Uh, first appeared late last year. Basically, a way of taking your Feedly feeds. Um, I, what you, I guess what used to be Google reader feeds, all your RSS news feeds, the tech sites and news stories, and reading them to you aloud. So in other words, you can get on with the chores or get, you know, do some, do, drive along and you can catch up with your news feeds at the same time. And just one tap moves you to the next story and the automated male or female voice goes on rattling off, rattling off the next story. And the pronunciation and the delivery is not at all bad. I've been quite impressed by this. I just wondered if you'd had a chance to play with this at all. Uh I tried this, but I couldn't really get on with the kind of... It, it is better than um, a lot of these artificial voices, but it still felt a bit unnatural to me. And to be quite honest, it's a slow way of going through your feeds. To have it read out each of your feeds, particularly when, if you're like me, you subscribe to, you know, well, probably 100-plus feeds, it takes a long <laughs> time to go through all of them. Um, I'll have to be going on a very long car journey to get through them. So it's actually quicker for me to use, you know, one of the a text-based application and there's several really great ones out there for for windows phone um i've been trying a, a couple of feedly specific ones but you can also of course use the web browser and i tend to mix my feed reading between you know a, a pc and uh, my smartphone when i'm sort of doing a bit of commuting um, it, it, it does work well and i think it's impressive to see this kind of um, audio out 
as an alternative to looking at the screen. And I'm kind of a fan of that kind of thing. But like with audio in, you know, voice recognition, I still think there's a bit of an issue around when actually you can do this. And it's fine if you're the only person in the room or you're in a car or something like that. But sometimes there are limitations on when you can do this. And there, there's a definite issue around, you know, what's the density of the content that you can get out. Um, and, you know, audio is great because you don't have to look at the screen, but you can actually only listen to one thing at a time. You can maybe speed things up by increasing, you know, the, the speed of the playback or you can try and speed up the, the speaking voice in some cases. But personally, for me, it's not an app that really appeals or fits into my particular usage patterns. But obviously, Steve, you know, it's something that you use a lot. So, you know, if you're interested in it, go ahead and, and download it, because it is, uh, and it's been well implemented. I mean, I think that's the, the thing that kind of stood out for me. It's compared to the first version, it just feels a little bit slicker. And um, while I've sort of been saying, you know, it's all about the audio content, it does actually provide an easy way to kind of have a quick read of what's on the screen as well. And so um, maybe I should probably give it another go and uh, not be so stuck in the mud about how I uh, consume my particular RSS feeds. Yeah, I I wouldn't say I use it a lot, but I certainly use it on occasion. And when I do use it, I find it's incredibly cool. That's not to say I, I I could not live without it. Um, but I do have a lot of speeds from you, Rafe. I do savagely prune them. So I, I hate reading stuff I'm not interested in. So the moment a feed transgresses and presents me with something that I think, no, that's it, you're, you're out of here. And I'm, I'm probably down to about 40 or 50 feeds. And that's fairly manageable. Uh, I can, each day I get about uh, 100 or so articles to get through. And if I'm at a, doing a particular job, some chores, for example, it's just a nice way of just setting off some of my news f- um, stories rattling through in terms of audio and if there's no podcast to listen to it just go through some of the feeds and uh, 10 minutes of the, 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 the automated voice prattling off news stories and I think well I've, at least that saved me some catch up time later on at the desk so anyway, yeah. it's worth people worth looking we verbalise and we'll put the link in the show notes and people can try it for themselves before we get uh, Steve's take on the latest head to head I just wanted to mention some uh, UK specific app updates and I think it's quite interesting as informing the whole story of the app gap on Windows Phone. Now, in this case, it's BBC iPlayer. It's the public service broadcaster and the on-demand service that it provides here in the UK. Now, there has been an iPlayer app for some time now, but this got updated this week. And uh, there's some technical bits of the update. It now supports uh, variable bit rates, which means it will perform better on low bandwidth or variable bandwidth uh, connections. So that's particularly relevant if you're out and about and you're trying to do it over a cellular connection. There's also some subtitling support has been added. Something's also been taken away, and it's actually the radio aspect of it. So it provided both TV and radio on demand. It's a bit of a shame because I actually use it quite a bit to listen to the radio. But um, a top tip for listeners is to actually use the separate radio player app, which comes from a kind of third-party organisation that provides access to lots and lots of radio streams, not just the BBC ones, but all the commercial ones here in the UK. And it's a fantastic app and works very well. So those two together will actually provide you with access to all the kind of BBC content, be it TV or radio. I also wanted to highlight the fact that ITV Player has now also become available for Windows Phone. And just like BBC iPlayer, it provides access to on-demand content for to ITV, which is one of the commercial broadcasters here in the UK. We've already got the uh, four on-demand app so it actually means that you know the three biggest broadcasters in the uk now all have windows phone apps and it's one of those things that was highlighted as kind of part of the app gap that these kind of local on-demand apps weren't available so that situation has 
largely sorted itself out on the UK, at least for the terrestrial broadcasters, there's still a pretty big gap in that there aren't any sky applications. That's the satellite broadcast. So kind of the equivalent to the cable broadcasters in the US. So it doesn't yet have a, a Windows phone app for either doing a remote control or on-demand content. There are some third-party apps that work for the uh, remote control, but frankly, they're a little bit flaky. So it's the same situation we've always had with the, the app gap. You get some improvement, you get some updated functionality, you get the latest version of the iPlayer that's been available for other platforms for a while, but there are still some uh, gaps to fill in. But if you're in the UK and you're interested in watching on-demand content, they both work really well. I think one of the interesting things in we'll get coming soon is in Windows Phone 8.1, there is support for uh, showing the device's screen remotely using the mirror sync technology. Uh, that's only going to be supported on certain devices, and we haven't been able to try it out yet because all the devices don't actually have the drivers to do it yet. But that kind of um, being able to take the contents of your smartphone screen and display it wirelessly if you've got the right sort of TV or indeed desktop monitor is something we're going to see a, a lot more of. And it's perhaps one of the areas where you know Windows Phone lags behind its competition because you obviously got something like the Apple TV or Chromecasting and enabling that to happen very easily on iOS and Android. We are going to see that sort of thing on Windows Phone. And again, it's another example of how Windows Phone 8.1 provides some enablers to do that kind of thing. So I think that's enough app chat, Steve. Really keen to get your summary of the hands-on comparison between the Lumia 1020 and the Sony Xperia Z2, which I think it's safe to say has been one of the kind of uh, leading lights of the new Android devices this year. I mean, people have talked about, and we've talked about, the HTC One M8, and obviously there's the Samsung S5 as well. But Sony's entry into this kind of top-tier Android handset is the Xperia Z2. It's been getting quite a lot of attention, uh, partly because it's got an interesting bundle, for example, the noise-cancelling headphones. But also on the camera side, Sony have kind of stepped up to the mark so I guess the inevitable question is, uh, how does it compare against the 1020? And I have a feeling I already know the answer, but still like to hear you say it, Steve. Well, the, the problem is that they haven't stepped up to the mark. So as far as I can tell from all my testing, and people can go back and look at the head-to-head between the 1020 and the Xperia Z and the Z1 and the Z1 Compact, now the Z2. And Sony has basically, basically got a working 21 megapixel sensor, which they oversample down to 8 megapixels, which is great. And the oversampling does kind of work and they've got various fancy software modes including adding dinosaurs and, and uh, hdr and all, all of the stuff you expect slow motion video all of this stuff but ultimately there's something not quite right and people can see this in my article i did the camera uh, direct comparison when these that's we'll put that link in the show notes also i did my uh, tabular comparison across all aspects of smartphone functionality and the z2 is clearly at a top of the range at smartphone in almost every regard and in every circumstances, from processor to RAM to screen size to clarity, at every every point, the, the speaker volume, at every point, the Z2 impresses. But it could be better. And that people have criticized me for slamming the Z2's camera in this case. But the, the Sony really haven't improved things over the last year. Every other manufacturer has been pushing things forward. We've seen, um, is it uh, one of the uh, Huawei doing these 50 megapixel um sort of a composite photographs from multiple photographs taken at the same time. There's all sorts of interesting things being done by different manufacturers to try and improve image quality, to, to innovate, and Sony have basically stood still. That The Z2 doesn't produce higher quality photographs than the Z1 or the Z1 Compact or even the Z. 
uh, to a degree. Um, they really haven't come on very far. A 1 over 2.3 inch sensor is actually is bigger than that in the Galaxy S5, and yet it takes worse photographs. And I, you, I, despite the fact that it's oversampling, there's just no rhyme or reason in that. Um, I, I really wish that some of the Nokia image processing expertise could be applied to Sony's physical hardware, because... Uh, uh, surely there's something not quite right there. Maybe Sony's sensor is not very good, but then a lot of companies use Sony's sensor, uh, sensors and they get on fine with them. So something doesn't quite add up. And if my frustration with all that comes through in the pros, then, I, then I'm sorry. But uh, Z2 is a great device overall. But in, in terms of camera comparisons, I'm afraid the 1020 is still king of the heat by quite a long way. Yeah, it's, it's perhaps not a surprise. And I think what is interesting is how much Sony has stepped up in some of the other areas, because uh, I always felt that they let themselves down in a few areas. And I do think, having tried the Z2 briefly myself, that it is the, the best Android phone they produce thus far. But that's not always going to be enough when your competition is really fierce, and particularly in this Android space. You know, there is the likes of HTC uh, and Samsung, kind of those traditional competitors. But as you say, there's always um, Huawei or Xiaomi or a lot of those other kind of new entrance to the smartphone space that are going to provide competition as well. And I think Sony needs to offer more than just being kind of part of that Sony family. And I will say that if you use it with a Sony TV, you've got a PlayStation, you kind of add in some of those other bits of Sony consumer electronics equipment. Sure. It, it, it does integrate incredibly well, but I don't think that's you know ever going to be enough on its own simply because, you know, Sony isn't all dominant in one of those sectors and people don't yet care about that enough and and frankly people expect it to work with whatever bit of equipment you've got and so yeah you know, i feel there's still some work to be done there i mean i do like what they've done with the design and you know they were one of the early manufacturers to look into waterproofing their phone something that's you know subsequently being picked up by others and you know, that actually came out of the japanese market where sony for obvious reasons has been quite strong in a lot of the symbian devices that uh, sony produced admittedly kind of the japanese specific version of of Symbian were actually waterproof and have been going back 10 years. You know, it's a well-known engineering problem. You know, it's quite easy to solve. It's just not always had the demand. And it's one of those things that seems to have become more fashionable in the last couple of years. But does this also suggest that while a lot of the time we, we say, you know, cameras and camera performance, it's all about the physics, it's sometimes useful to get a reminder every now and then that, Yes, it is, does all come back to the physics. And when we talk about that, we're really talking about the size of the sensor and some of the performance characteristics or the physical characteristics of the optics that are part and parcel of that whole camera module. It's also important to remember that while that's your base, you can actually also uh, fall down if you don't get your software algorithms quite right. And of course, there's multiple different layers there all interacting in, in different ways you know there's lots of covariance there that you change one thing it has multiple impacts and also then above that is if you like at the app level where and, and this is where there seems to be still quite a lot of difference you can have a really good camera ui or you can have a camera ui that doesn't work quite so well perhaps one of the more subjective elements and of course that whole output you know when you talk about color accuracy or how much processing should be done is also you know quite subjective but it does feel here from you know your experience, Steve, suggests that Sony perhaps it may well have you know, done the right thing in terms of doing oversampling. It looks like it's got a good sensor in there from just the raw specifications of it. But you also need to get those other components right as well in order to get something that comes out and can then be competitive with other things on the market. And we do know that 
the likes of HTC and Samsung and Apple have invested considerable amounts of money in getting those you know, processing pieces of the jigsaw right in terms of employing people and spending a lot of money developing those uh, processing algorithms. Something I think Nokia has had a reputation for for quite some time now. Uh, is Sony a step behind some of its competition there, or is that perhaps pushing it too far when we're just talking about a single device? I would say certainly say that Sony is behind Samsung in terms of image processing. Samsung have always had cameras that punched above their weight over the last two or three years in their smartphones, and Sony's cameras always punch under their weight. I think that's a pretty consistent trend. Um, you mentioned HTC there, of course, HTC with a their so-called ultra-pixel approach and, and some conceptual problems with producing any kind of detailed images. And I've written up that in detail on the site. So I don't think we can go there. HTC have put some thought into their camera, but I think they've gone in totally the wrong direction. Samsung are really the ones to beat on the Android side of things, not least because they're about to um, release. Like it's a couple of days away from shipping now. Their Galaxy K Zoom, which is very much a 1020 competitor in terms of form factor, you know, a much slighter bulge than last year's S4 Zoom, for example, and with Samsung's excellent image processing. And I've got one old, and it should be arriving on Friday. So hopefully next week, Ray, we'll see some 1020 comparisons with an Android smartphone that really will hold its own against uh, the uh, Nokia's best. So we'll account for that. Uh, really looking forward to seeing that. And I mean, the reason I mentioned HTC, I mean, I, I agree. I think some of the choices they make don't work in terms of pure image quality, but a little like Apple, I guess they've gone for some of the performance issues in trying to make it as fast as possible. And it's the production of almost a, a social camera. Uh, they've yeah. gone down more that route than I think Apple has. And Apple have actually probably got the balance um, about right in terms of the mass market. You sometimes wonder whether Nokia or now Microsoft kind of concentrated too much on trying to do clever things in terms of the engineering and could, could have thought a little more about how people actually use kind of that, that social side. And obviously it depends, you know, which line you fall on or which category or bucket you fall into. Sure. I mean, if HTC has gone too far the one way, maybe that fits better with their brand. But what kind of upsets me about Sony is they've gone for a particular approach, but haven't really delivered on the promise of it or what they're trying to do. Uh, if, you know, if Sony were doing something similar to HTC, I wouldn't really have a problem because I think it's a valid strategy. It may not be what I particularly want, but they've gone to try and replicate what Samsung, what Microsoft or what Nokia have done, but didn't really succeed. Um, and the Z2 is a fantastic device in many other ways. And you know, it does stand out from the crowd. And uh, I'd much prefer it to the design of the, the Samsung S5, I think, as a, a piece of hardware and a piece of design. It, it's much better. It, it feels more polished than the, the S5. But then, of course, you, you have to measure that against, you know, do you want really good camera performance, which you, you do get with the S5. Um, it's, yeah. you know, maybe not matching up to the 1020, which is it's still is a class of its own. And, and frankly, you'd expect that given the actual specification of the sensor and everything else. But um, as we've said before, you know, that, that good enough barrier, I think it's well past it at the top end now, particularly when you look at the S5 or the, the Apple iPhone i5S as well. Um, and, and Sony is perhaps missing an opportunity, but uh, it'd be yeah. great to hear other people's thoughts and feedback on this because I know we've got several Z2 owners in our listeners in the audience, hopefully for this podcast. So, you know, tell us why you bought that particular device and whether you know camera was something that was important to you or whether that was was good enough. Because you know, let's make no mistake, the Z2 is still capable of producing some really super shots. It's just in a direct comparison with other 
know, flagship devices. It's perhaps not quite cutting the mustard. Of course, comparing it to a few years ago, of course, it's better than saying it was producing, but uh, that's always the way with smartphones, especially in the last few years. There's been a lot of movement in the imaging space and uh, perhaps hinting at there with the new Samsung device, there's plenty more to come. Yeah, and it is all relative. People, people say I've been slamming the Z2's camera. It is relative. Look, if you've got, uh, a, in my case, I drive a Renault Scenic. It, it chokes along at 70 miles an hour if you like, with a trailing wind. <laughs> and somebody with a BMW is going to come screaming past. Of course, the BMW is a faster car. And the BMW is, you know, it, it's a, a much sportier, much higher performance vehicle. But then you put that next to a Ferrari and the BMW is made to look like a snail. And it doesn't mean a BMW is a slow car. It just means it's been compared to a Ferrari. And it is, it's a, the 1020 is kind of a freak device, really. Nokia designed it to produce maximum image quality with no compromise. In fact, there were compromises in terms of speed, speed of operation and shot-to-shot time, which is why devices like the 930 and the 1520, they've got enough of the pure view oversampling and lossless zoom to be useful, but not so much that it creates a thick device and not so much that you compromise, you, you have to sacrifice speed. So I think the 930 in particular, I think, will be much more of a, a genuine all-round competitor to these Android devices. It will have a, a camera that's fast enough and yet with enough of the, the Nokia special imaging expertise. So I think that could be the best balance. Yeah, uh, and consequently, actually, the gap between them will be a lot smaller because they're really all based off the same technology. And, and Nokia still does have an advantage, I think, in some of its processing algorithms in certain situations. But in kind of the common use cases, it, there's difficulty in choosing between these devices, and it does come down to a certain amount of subjectivity. And what you're saying about the Z2 is absolutely right in terms of, you know, it's still very good, but in the BMW Ferrari thing's interesting. What's worth bearing in mind with the, the Z2, of course, is that it is an expensive device. You know, it is a flagship device, so it's about £550 on a high street price now. Um, by contrast, the 1020 being an older device, and I'm saying older in the inverted commas, it's not even a year old, but it's £385. We're actually expecting the 930 to come in around the £450 mark, so it's actually going to undercut some of the other flagships. Um, and that's something Nokia's actually done a little bit of in the last few years. Now, in a lot of markets like the US, you just won't notice it because of the subsidy model but in other places actually that hundred pound difference could make a difference um and be really interesting to get our hands on on a 930 and see how it does measure up i think as with some of the other nokia devices there will be some work to be done on the processing algorithms i think the first version may not quite measure up but what you do tend to find is that nokia kind of iterates on its uh, software updates it does deliver improvements over time we don't always see that from the other manufacturers and of course it's the capability over a broad range of situations is something that nokia uh, prides itself on whereas i think some of the other devices don't quite necessarily have that versatility that's a very broad generalization but there's a reason i think nokia still sits at the top of that imaging tree you know when you get into the more detailed comparisons i think the problem for nokia is in we should say Microsoft these days, but they've still got Nokia name on the devices. Those Lumia devices, maybe I should use that phrase, um, you know, have this reputation for imaging excellence, but that gap or that advantage they have does seem to be narrowing significantly. And so I think it's on Microsoft and on the Lumia teams to see uh, what comes next. And it's fine for the current generation, but looking ahead to the 1030 or whatever comes next, it's going to be interesting to see how they can sort of again, make that leapfrog jump and be ahead and get that, maintain that reputation for kind of imaging innovation and excellence. Um, in the meantime, 
that's kind of always the story of smartphones. But uh, given that's been Lumia's particular ballpark and that particular area of differentiation, I do you think it's something that's important for them to maintain? Absolutely. And uh, having mentioned the K-Zoom earlier, which is arriving in a couple of days, just to put you mentioned 385 is the current price of the Lumia 1020. Um, Samsung um, are selling the K-Zoom from their own UK store uh, with a, t- a 10% off at the moment. And it comes in at £360, brand new, all in, including free shipping, which is <laughs> shows that the Nokia really does have some competition, as you said, and it's really a very competitive marketplace at the moment. But um, watch for my analysis on the KZoom versus 1020, and indeed against the 1520, which I've also got uh, here at the moment. So uh, um, anyway, we, we're going to draw this to a halt. We're very tired. It's quite late at night. If we've been waffling and rambling rather than do, please forgive us. But uh, we wanted to get something up this week for you to listen to. So I guess it's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me.